Otaku Night on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Cooking with the Daleks. Enjoy the recipe that will exterminate your species. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. We are talking with friend of the show and and a friend of ours for golly as long as we've been doing this almost uh, and, and original member of the Five Timers Club, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> right. Peter, right. welcome back, my friend. Thank you. It's good being back finally. It's it's, it's, it's uh, been a bit of a hiatus. Well, not hiatus, but uh, all of us been off doing other things. But it's it's wonderful to circle back around. It, it, uh, you folks did indeed find me pretty early on, so this this is a bit of a nostalgia trip for me. Yeah, yeah, I can remember that that first Boston Comic Con where we just kind of decided we were going to be pals for life at that point. <laughs> That's pretty much how it evolved. Yeah, back in the days when we were in the uh, basement of uh, the Hancock Tower. Excuse me, two hundred Clarendon. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's not a Hancock Tower we, anymore. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, that was. Those were weird uh, times. We we were jammed in in those days. I mean, like yeah. the booze were literally out in the hallway and saying, mm-hmm. you, "You exhale while I inhale, and vice versa." But uh, we were all be, stuck in these tiny little rooms and strung along hallways. Yeah. Very weird. Very. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, we've been we've been talking for a while about you coming back on the show to talk about uh, Monitors Guild Volume Two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, it, it was a somewhat delayed project, but it is finally uh, it was brought to fruition. Um, one uh, the the the, uh, <laughs> the intensity with which studies American history uh, again it just gets more and more addictive. With each new interesting, fascinating little fact you uncover, the, you, there's like three more that then immediately pop up, and you you want to chase that particular thread, and you find yourself going down multiple rabbit holes, but always for a good cause. Uh, and I had found out that uh, the Declaration of Independence, which is uh, kind of the, sig- the the signal central event of Book Two of the Monitors Guild um, series, uh, was actually signed uh, or ratified on July second. But uh, we didn't get around to actually acknowledging it as an actual holiday. Uh, uh, you know, July fourth, just a, a mere two days later. Which uh, is why technically that- this book has been released on July on 2nd. July second. Exactly. I love it. John Adams. Uh, John Adams uh, frequently wrote about how he looked forward to celebrating the second of July as America's birthday, complete with fireworks and pageantry and parades. So he, he, the, the the spirit was right. It was just off by forty eight hours. Yeah, well, you know, I, I I I sat and I tried to figure out if somebody hasn't read the series yet, and if you haven't, <laughs> you're an idiot because it's just freaking amazing. But well, thank you. I tried to come up with uh, 
You, you know that that kind of sentence or two that brings it all together? The, and, the elevator pitch version. Yeah. What I came up with was, and I find it guardedly inaccurate, but <laughs> <laughs> um, part history, part science fiction, part urban fantasy, part spy thriller, and political parable. Volume two of the dystopian cautionary tale has just come out. How's that? Ooh, I uh, <laughs> absolutely adore your choice of verbiage there. <laughs> that, that, that's far better than I could have done. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm very flattered. Thank literally you. Literally, as, as before I started reading book two, mm-hmm. it's been a couple of years since I read book one. So I had to go back and refresh myself because book two is a good standalone. But there's an. I've had that. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's an awful lot where, if you refresh yourself with book one, there's an almost seamless quality of of bringing the two together. That that has been observed uh, by more than one uh, critic, uh, and I, I suppose in a very real sense, uh, books one and two could easily be jammed together into a sig- uh, single omnibus volume, and it, it would not break stride, especially as book two literally picks up ten seconds later from the mm-hmm. final page of book one. <laughs> And part of that, uh, the, the reason I ended book one the way I did, where uh, it, it's an ensemble cast, for those who might not be familiar uh, with the the core of the story. There's a, a core cast of about ten characters. Uh, we meet the first nine of them in book one. We don't even get around to meeting the uh, the tenth one until the first few pages of book two. Kind of uh, highlighted bits and pieces of their lives, how they're not really intersecting all that much until the critical moment where they're all gathered around the conference table. And even then, three of them are not actually physically present. They're like Skyping in or dialing in. Uh, The idea uh, was to reinforce the idea um, that the famous painting of the declaration or the of the presentation of the Declaration of Independence by the famous Committee of Five, uh, supposedly uh, in May of 1776, where John Adams and the rest of his crew were submitting the declaration to, at the time, President John Hancock is uh, probably one of the most well-known paintings in all of American lore. It was painted by uh, the uh, artist John Trumbull, uh, somebody who actually came personally recommended by Thomas Jefferson. And the painting is, of course, very famous. So the minute you see it, you recognize it. Oh, yeah, it's that one where all the founding fathers are all in one great big room, and they're all just uh, gazing in rapt adoration at Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and the rest of the crew uh, as they're submitting the Declaration of Independence. And the conceit of the painting is that never happened. That that scene never actually happened. No such <laughs> scene ever took place with all those men in the room at that moment. And so I kind of build on that uh, in the first couple of pages of the Monitor's Guild book, book two, uh, where everybody's sitting, uh, sitting around the conference table. They exchange a few uh, pleasantries, some anecdotes, trade a few insults, because it's that kind of environment, because they're all a bunch of history buffs. They discover to their great shock and surprise. And the minute a break comes up, Half of them leave the room. Uh, they, they immediately bolt and head out to go take care of their own individualized affairs. So once again, there really isn't a moment where the entire cast or the entire crew are all assembled in the same room at the same moment. So I, I wanted to kind of poke a few holes in John Trumbull's uh, artistic conceit there at the same time. Before we get too far into this, I don't think, and I may be mistaken in this, but in going over all the times that we've talked about <clears throat> 
uh, this series of books. I don't think we've ever talked about why the first Monitor's Guild book ever happened. Where, okay. where did that come from? It actually uh, it just passed its 10th year anniversary. Uh, it was uh, New York Comic-Con uh, of 2008. Uh, on the occasion of, I actually met uh, an amazing uh, artist and illustrator who was himself tremendously passionate about that particular era in American history. There is a graphic novel uh, that is uh, called The Sons of Liberty. Uh, it is literally set in the 1770s. Um, and it features uh, two liberated slaves. Uh, it, it's a superhero origin story, but the fact that it's set in the 1770s is part of uh, the amazing uh, uh, part of it. It is written by uh, Alexander Lagos and Joseph Lagos, but the uh, artist, uh, main illustrator, Steve, was one whose acquaintance I had cultivated at uh, New York Comic Con that year. And we, we were just, we immediately clicked. I think because my name begins with V and his name begins with W, we ended up being next door neighbors in Artist's Alley. <laughs> so, ah, they were doing uh, it. it was, they were doing it uh, by last names here. <laughs> they were doing it by last names here. Yeah, and, and uh, so we just got to talking about American history. We both did, did hit upon this mutual uh, love of the revolution, uh, and he showed his graphic novel in progress, and it was like a lightning rod, uh, or excuse me, it was like a Benjamin Franklin flying a kite in a in a, an electrical store. It just it just resonated and. For me, I realized that this is a story that I'd had in the back of my head for more than 30 years. Uh, I had experimented with it as a prose novel. It didn't really develop uh, in a, an appropriate way. But uh, it was pretty much at Steve Walker's urging uh, and another artist that I met, uh, who was somebody who was certainly very well known, uh, uh, both on the political side of things, but also on the fantasy and sci-fi side of things, is uh, uh, the, the, the infamous Molly Crabapple. I got to meet her at the very same event. And she just added her voice to the same thing. Yes, by all means, dear Lord, do this. So uh, at the urging uh, of uh, these two artists, who I you know, at the time didn't even know about, but uh, the, the enthusiasm was infectious. And I was also goaded along uh, by my wife and some of my best friends uh, at the same time. And uh, my son and daughter also heavily encouraged me at the same time to just, let, let, let's go with this. Let's just make, make this happen. And so, yeah, uh, the the chicken scratch that eventually turned into book uh, one followed not too long after uh, New York comic-con 2008. Uh, that also all happened to be the occasion in which I met Stan Lee. So it, it was a momentous event. <laughs> and from 2008 to 2014, it just kind of coalesced and came together. Yeah, it, 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 it was a slow going project. Anybody who's seen my artwork knows that I am uh, annoyingly uh, big on the pen and ink details Oh man, <laughs> let me let me let me just stop you right there for a second. Okay. Because every goddamn panel in this book is so deep and so thick that you just can't read the damn book. You've got to two C's, just throwing that out there. Exactly. <laughs> oh it, man. It I've never had my word. It gets to the point. Where you can't read the book because you've <laughs> got to stop and you've really got to look at each panel because there's so much, so much depth and so much intricacy into it. I, you're right. That's been a cornerstone of your art. But in, in a graphic novel, you know, I would, in, 
if it was anybody else, I would say it kills the flow. It doesn't in this case because it's simply it's it's like seasoning to the main course. It's and it's just oh amazing. Oh, well, thank you. I'm I'm tremendously flattered by that. It's a uh... Being uh, obsessive about the pen and ink level of detail as I am, uh, <laughs> and my wife uh, kids me about this. Uh, she says, of course, you would set the novel in Boston, uh, where it's a proliferation of concrete and brick buildings everywhere. And, so, and a lot of the scenes take place in, literally in Harvard Square. So it's just like me drawing facades of brick building after brick building after brick building. And that, that's usually what slows down the production time. And it's not and I didn't improve from... Because I had uh, to no, say- no. And I'm sitting here and and I'm reading it. uh, I'm reading the PDF version of it. And I'm Mm -hmm. just literally blowing up each frame as much as I can so that I can see some of the stuff that you've so, so cleverly and smartly, uh, I won't say hidden, but not made obvious. Say that again. Oh, 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 okay. Thickly. Mm-hmm. Thickly, I, the way I, the yeah, teenagers I think say it, which I think new, is more yeah, meaningful. Like thickly is the way to put it. Now that's the new phrase. Okay, it's very thickly, yeah, and it's spelled though. with two C's, if I remember correctly. So C <laughs> C, like like the new Jewel State movie. Uh, so. Gotcha. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, uh, when you when you talk about your your almost obsessive nature in in doing this, I can understand why we went five years between book one and book two. Right. Yeah. And well, part of that is I have only myself and my own selfishness to blame. Um, because <laughs> two years ago, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't the sole reason, but one of the reasons for the slowdown, uh, was I was handed a golden opportunity to actually, uh, appear in a local production of my all time favorite musical, which you probably would never guess. It's, 1776. No way. <laughs> Seriously. Imagine that, right? I know. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, the, the, the chance to be in my all-time favorite musical, which is literally set in Philadelphia in the summer of 76, and I was given the role, I was, uh, this is almost like it was fate, uh, I was given the role of Charles Thompson, who was the uh, secretary of the Continental Congress. So not a major role, but one of the best parts of my particular character is I play this very fussy, humorless bureaucrat who's giving a lot of long sighs and eye rolls as uh, you know, much more pompous uh, individuals like John Adams and John Dickinson and Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin are out bloviating front and center, and I'm just quietly taking the minutes and you know, exchanging you know, annoyed glances with President Hancock. But one of the best parts of the role is Periodically, uh, my character gets to read aloud the dispatches from General George Washington, who is currently having his ass kicked in the field, specifically mm-hmm. in New York. <laughs> and uh, my director indulged me uh, with my gimmick of reading my regular lines in a humorless bureaucrat voice. But when it came time to read a letter from George Washington, I must gravely inform you about how <laughs> on what we are getting our asses kicked on the Brooklyn Heights. And I pray that some relief comes. And, so uh, the idea that George Washington is actually there on stage, at least in the spirit, and I, I'm grateful for the fact that I have such a deep voice because I was able to use it to maximum comedic effect. Well, I mean, and, and so on I, top I, of that, <laughs> you you also have your 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 day job. You also have mm-hmm. your art job. You also have 
all the conventions that you've been going to recently. And, right, and, right. and so, yeah. So that it took five years, uh, four years, four years. <laughs> yeah. Four years. Yeah. It was, it was a busy, but it was a good kind of busy. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I hear you. And, and I didn't see a lot of you for the, the last two years of it because, and then that, that was part of it. I was kind of uh, in, in indulging that and also putting the finishing touches on this monster here. But uh, I, I finally met my self-imposed July 2nd deadline here. But I, I really must give a shout out to the to the people at We the People Theater, and that's the pompous British spelling, theater, T-H-T-R-E. Uh, of dot com, uh, and <laughs> because uh, they, they had a great deal to do with helping to kind of uh, tie a nice neat bow on all of this, whether they realized it or not. So book two tells the story of the declaration of the, the signing of the declaration the signing, of independence. Yeah. Which and did not come uh, smoothly. Yeah. No, and it doesn't come smoothly in the book either. Um, no. and there's, there's this wonderful uh, bounce back from history to future to uh, a, a a a kind of urban fantasy it's, it is so difficult to describe what it is you're doing <laughs> and how it is you're doing I, it. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the fantastical elements are, are sometimes uh, harder to wrap my uh, brain around than the other parts of it, only because I'm setting it in the not too distant future. Um, right. the, the action takes place in the year 2050. So, uh, I mean, I, I fully expect to be uh, comfortably into my 80s uh, when the action in this book actually takes place. And that's, that also becomes the challenge of not making it too over the top, but once again, chart, uh, charting realistic trends and technology and and the, uh, the geopolitical situation and the socio-political situation and where social trends are going to go and coming up with a realistic view of the future uh and you know something uh something that's it's comfortable enough that it's science fiction but it is followable and i think right now the absolute apex of this would be books like uh the martian by andy weir uh, which uh, there was the uh, book that was re- uh, the book that was adapted into a movie by ridley scott starring right. matt damon uh, but even uh, a little further back than that, there was a magnificent piece of uh, totally digestible and wonderfully uh, speculated science fiction, uh, a, a book called Encounter with Tiber, which was uh, co-written by John Barnes and, of all people, Buzz Aldrin, uh, who actually makes a cameo appearance uh, <laughs> in the Monitor's Guild book, too. I if anybody can present a realistic view of the not-too-distant future uh, and something makes science fiction sound realistic and believable, it's a freaking Apollo astronaut. So. Yeah, that'll do it every single damn time, every time. <laughs> exactly. So, it becomes, over the course of the second book, mm-hmm. as opposed to the first one, a much more cautionary tale than I would have first imagined. Oh, very much so. Uh, yeah, a big element uh, in the storyline uh, is the all-pervasive surveillance-based society. Um, I think, unfortunately, that window closed on us, you know, uh, both as a country and probably uh, as a species, maybe 10 to 12 years ago. Um, so this is the new normal. Uh, and so uh, that the 
the ethics involved uh, in a surveillance-based society and the idea that uh, now privacy is the thing that everybody wants their 15 minutes of. It's not fame. They want 15 minutes of completely uh, unfollowed uh, private time. Not that anybody necessarily is doing anything wrong, but just the idea that you are out of the view of the camera lens. Uh, so that that's a recurring theme throughout and the idea that there's there's no clear-cut right or wrong. There's no clear-cut good guys or bad guys. And you're probably, again, much like the American Revolution. You know, we like to think of ourselves you know, as the heirs to the American colonists. So we're the good guys, and Britain was the bad guys. Oh, yeah, well, it doesn't quite work for more that than way. An hour and you it wasn't. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, so the, my, my team of heroes, they, they, they've got some blemishes on their characters, uh, and, uh, among them, the, the least of which is uh, one is having an affair with another one's wife. But we're going to re- we're not going to divulge that until book two. So yeah. uh, book three, excuse me. <laughs> it reminded so me of bets now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> because there's there's a lot of real good candidates in book two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It reminded me, in a very odd way, of Terry Gilliam's movie Brazil. Oh my goodness! Thank you. That <laughs> um, that that is a is I think a, a very underrated bit of brilliance. Oh, in, in the sense of uh, a, a realistic view of the future. It's one of my favorite films, and I can always remember the very first line of that of of the film. I'd like to talk to you about ducts and it took mm-hmm. me maybe oh, six yeah. viewings of that for me to understand exactly where that what that meant from where that came from yeah, right? yeah. um but it, it's that same kind of here's a future you shouldn't like it and you don't have any damn choice you don't have any choice yeah, they, they, these are not necessarily likable people but at the same time we're, we're sucked into their story and we're following yeah. them uh, following along with them whether we like it or not yeah it's that's a, a good way to put that yeah it's um i can't tell you um how wonderfully challenging this series is uh in in the best of all possible ways, I don't find that it's too difficult, but I mm-hmm. do find that it requires a level of commitment to really understand then, yeah. what's going on. And when when you get hooked to it as a reader, and uh, as I was in book one, and then book two comes out, you go. Well, the first thing I have to do is read book one so that I'm <laughs> okay, ready. <yeah. laughs> I'm all caught sure, up now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that when book three comes out, I'm going to feel the same way. And it's going to take me two days to get through books one and two, <clears throat> to ready myself for book three. And I'm very much, very much looking forward to it. Well, thank you. And uh, book three, uh, since I want to continue with my theme of, you know, hitting the high points of the American revolution. Um, it's, uh, I've, I've even thought of a subtitle for book three, or actually I'm, I'm torn between the two here. Maybe we could make a uh, listener poll about this, you know, what's Peter title volume three of the monitors guild. I was thinking either new articles, which is a reference to the articles of confederation mm-hmm. uh, or just plain 
Forge, which has a much more dramatic, more gravitas to that. But I mean, that also evokes Valley Forge, which is how uh, things finished up in 1777. The idea that there was a big regroup and retool, but that uh, the colonies uh, finally could enjoy a proper victory, a Christmas time victory. Uh, and for that reason, I'm actually going to set uh, a lot of the action in book three. We're going to jump forward about six months into the action and uh, catch up with uh, the holiday season. So, hey, it might be even considered a Christmas uh, a Christmas uh, purchase uh, two years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if, if, you, if you guys out there listening know somebody who really enjoys uh, total immersion in, into a graphic novel, uh, volumes one and two are where what you need to get them, what they need to have, what they need oh. to read. While while all this has been going on, um, you were doing a lot of comic cons for a while. Then you cut back. Mm-hmm. Now you've started again, and um, I've actually cut back a ton as well. <laughs> so I gathered, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, partly for health issues for a while. But I've really right. stopped uh, doing a lot of the the larger Comic Cons, the Boston Con, which doesn't really exist anymore. It, it was definitely a very different animal. I, I've not been to Boston Comic Con in about four years myself, but I went this year, uh, and it, it, it was it, it's a changed animal. It, it's no less amazing and no less spectacular, but it's very clearly under different management, and uh, the, the emphasis is very different from what it used to be back when we were in the basement of 200 Clarendon. So. Uh, those, those were those were good times. We learned more from each other in those days. I mean, when nope. I was to David Mack on one side, you on the yep. other, I mean, it was just insanity. But yeah, and then uh, with, yeah, Julie Mayer's across the hall from us there, and oh yeah, from the Wicked Little Studios. Yeah, they they, they <laughs> we we were we, we were definitely jammed yeah. in there like sheep. But it was no less fun. Uh, than you allowed to have absolutely exactly, and almost more fun for us than it was for the uh, for the for the paid attendees. <laughs> I think so. I, I would absolutely agree with that yes. <laughs> so. What are you doing at Comic Cons now? How are you, how are th- how have things changed for you in doing them? Uh, it, it's there's uh, I think I've, t- I've uh, managed my expectations a little bit better, uh, and the idea that uh, I mean Comic Cons are uh, they're evolving. Uh, I, I can't I, I don't want to say whether they're they're getting worse, getting better. They're just they're, there's a different focus. Um, they have become much more of a pop culture event. Um, I will freely admit to standing somewhat in awe and just kind of gazing in rapt adoration at Peter Capaldi for several minutes for no reason other than that. That's, that's the doctor. Oh, wow. Uh, at the Boston Comic-Con uh, earlier this summer. Uh, and, and I realized that uh, a lot of it now is aimed towards uh, marketing, uh, uh, especially I think the biggest guest of honor at Boston this past year, uh, this past summer was John Travolta, who has uh, a, a picture coming out and he offered the, a preview to uh, a, a select audience of that. So it's it's more about the, that level of promotion. That being said, Artist Alley is, is no less uh, amazing than it uh, has ever been. But uh, again, the emphasis has changed. And I, I think it is incumbent upon all of us as artists and as writers to to make some educated guesses as to which way it's going. 
Um, we're going to get it wrong sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I, I know many artists, uh, you know, like Marvel and DC artists and, and IDW artists uh, who are, you know, big names in the industry. They oftentimes go home uh, after a weekend without having moved a whole lot of product. <laughs> so, mm. uh, I, I, I do take some comfort from that. You know, somebody is <laughs> working on a big title like Deadpool or something like that, and they realize sure. that uh, they're... Yes, they're uh, a famous illustrator with a Major League Marvel title, but at the same time, I see them taking calls uh, and managing their landscaping business and keep making sure their employees are going where they're supposed to go. So uh, even the big names, uh, sometimes there's uh, there's a second day job involved in there, too. So I, I take some comfort from that. Uh, we're not all going to be Neil Gaiman. And uh, I think that was, in many ways, it was very liberating to finally realize Thank that. Thank fuck for that. Yeah. I, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, one of the things that you've started doing a little bit more is uh, comic and store book signings. Uh, yes, uh, I've had some uh, tremendous success on that front. Um, so, most recently, I appeared at uh, Million Year Picnic in Harvard Square. Uh, now, Tony tell Davis me, and the owners tell me there, why that place people. is so important to you. That is literally my comic, my childhood comic book store, uh, and I, I even uh, throw some references to it. Literally, um, it isn't mentioned by name in the Monitors Guild, but anybody who's familiar with that particular store will recognize the somewhat uh, cramped uh, uh, old world school or old, old world style of a beloved book bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, so it, it features both in, in volumes one and volumes two, and it conceals the secret entrance to the Monitors Guild secret underground mm -hmm. headquarters. <laughs> so the, the owners were kind of surprised uh, and a little bit uh, disturbed to learn this, I think. So, wait, we got an underground revolution working literally uh, tucked in behind one of these bookshelves? Yes. You'd yes, think you they would have known. No? You'd think they would have <laughs> known. <would've> known. <laughs> Well, and I actually addressed that within the plot of the Monitors Guild itself. The owner is blissfully unaware of what her comic book store is being used as a front for. But unfortunately, yep. the means by which she's being uh, misled about it are less than ethical. So, But I did uh, throw in some Easter eggs uh, on a couple of key pages there. Uh, so yeah. anybody who's a regular uh, at a at Billion Year Picnic in Harvard Square is going to get a lot of the jokes. <laughs> Thus is the price as, of the revolution. <laughs> that is the price of the revolution. Yep. It, it's not always pretty. Well, uh, I think of the French revolution, which was headed up by uh, this diminutive uh, four foot 11, uh, 80 pounds soaking wet uh, librarian named Marie Madeleine Forsad. Uh, she was sitting in a cafe on the Champs Elysees, watched German tanks rolling up the street and decided, well, I guess somebody's got to organize uh, a resistance. And she checked into a hotel room under an assumed name and started making outreaches. And just and she was captured three times over the course of World War II. And uh, two of those three times, the Germans let her go because, well, obviously this person, this, this mousy little nobody, this librarian, she can't possibly be some kind of resistance leader. Let her go. Ah, that's <laughs> so, nobody important. Exactly. You know, so very, very, uh, very misleading. Uh, and, you know, the same can be said of... Uh, uh, Good heavens, uh, Harriet Tubman, for crying out loud. Another you know, extremely diminutive, uh, easily overlooked figure. I think she was all of five foot one. I know there's a movie uh, coming out very shortly based on her life. And once again, she was actually literally captured uh, uh, by, um, by uh, U.S. forces and let go because, uh, no, this can't possibly be this uh, amazing revolutionary slave smuggler liberator person we've heard so much about. That, that's obviously not her. 
So I, again, the conceit of concealing a, the headquarters of the new American Revolution in an unobtrusive little tucked in the uh, tucked out of the site basement comic book store was kind of fun for me. And again, that store has changed little since I was uh, a, a customer there back in the 1980s uh, in my teens. Which is it the was, best. It was nice. To That's the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you just walk in and you feel like you're 12 years old again. Very much so, yeah. And and they've got a, a wonderful staff and a wonderful crew. Their owner, Tony Davis, he he he's the real deal. He he understands comic uh, fandom and extreme geekery, and he will help you find that extremely obscure, uh, hard to find in the U.S. title that you've been searching for. So that that, that, that was a major triumph for me to be able to sign there. I, and the prior exactly. month I had been. Uh, yeah, in the prior month, I had been at uh, the folks at the Kamikaze in Somerville, uh, yeah. who are also equally very welcoming. I, I think they've actually featured on the, on this show, as a matter of fact, or yep. have been spoken of on this show yep, recently. Yep, so. absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's the heart and soul of Davis Square and that store right there, too. So, And again, it, the best part of doing these signings and the part that really made me realize that um, the study of American history and the passion of American history and the passion of the revolution and the promises therein, it's not dead. I had a lot of the 14 and under crowd walking into both stores in, in the recent months. I was doing my book signings, and they wanted to talk uh, at length about some of the minutiae of the American Revolution, some details about the life, uh, the lives of Thomas Jefferson and, and John Dickinson and some of the lesser-known founders whose names don't necessarily uh, roll off our, our, our tongues, like uh, Edward Rutledge and um, uh, Judge James Wilson of uh, Pennsylvania. A lot of names that necessarily, you know, they're they're important to the grand history of things, but they're not the names we necessarily know off the top of our heads. Hearing these youngsters uh, and realizing just how engaged and how passionate they were about the subject, just it restores my faith in so many ways. And if in the next week you want to sit down and and, and meet Peter and get to talk to him, uh, <laughs> he's going to be at uh, Super Mega Fest. November 16th and correct. 17th. And Absolutely. Uh, yep. that will be uh, a wonderful time to just stand across the table and listen to him talk and ask him whatever questions <laughs> you want to, you want to, you want to ask at the time. Uh, because uh, I know if I was going to be there, uh, it's one of the places I would definitely hit because he's sitting oh, right fantastic. between Carmen Electra. And Wait, if you were going to be there, you would definitely be there. Is that what you just said? That's exactly what I said. Good, good. I'm glad this <laughs> night is going so well for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, well, between Carmen Electra and getting to meet all three of the Duke cousins from the Dukes of Hazard, I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, you can't go wrong there, right? <laughs> how, how could you ever say no to that? You can't. Absolutely. Actually, pretty Absolutely. easily. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Well, Peter, as usually, we we could talk for another three hours, but we probably shouldn't because that's like <laughs> way too long. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to cut in on the next guest here, but <laughs> but I, I I just you know it's nice to have you back. Nice to be. Oh, able it's to good talk to be back. Again. Thanks for thinking of me, and, and, and uh, it's good having you back. Good lord, you know, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I'm kind of like the uh, I don't know the beast that never dies. Is that how that works? <laughs> I just tell folks you've regenerated. You know, exactly. you, you had been played by Peter Capaldi, and now you're being played by Jody Whittaker. You know, it's, 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 it happens. Which, <laughs> frankly, is a much better look. But you're we're not. Now. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest has. Heard. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. You are welcome. <laughs> Our guest tonight has been 
Peter Vinton Jr. His book, Monitors Guild Book Two, The Signing of the Declaration of Independence, is available on Amazon. And you can pick That's it up correct. in person at Super Mega Fest next weekend. Thanks so much for joining us, my friend. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being with you guys again. I'm looking forward to the next one. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Keen Comic Con, Plastic City Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Be sure to visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for a really, really good gift book for the rapidly approaching St. Swithin's Day, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is now available on Audible. I'm not really sure where else you could possibly look for it. Our intro production is provided by Rob Watts. His amazing stuff can be found on robwattsonline.com. Check out the Watts sauce. Trust me on this one. Our outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their grooves are at lawrencemademecry.com. A big hello to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the cast who helped make this possible tonight from the Peabody Time Tunnel. Kriana and Zombrarian, thank you both very, very much for all you do. This is Dome saying Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. We'll talk soon, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. I keep getting these spam emails for weed control, but they're never what I expect them to be. Good night, everyone, unless it's daytime. <laughs>